This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, June 26, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. today's short podcast, we'll talk about recent Supreme Court decisions that have had a profound effect on our lives this week. But first, have you ever thought that your vote doesn't count? With all the money dumped on some candidates, it's difficult for candidates without a lot of money to get noticed. And if they don't get noticed, well, you feel like you're throwing your vote away by supporting them, even if you agree with them. Greg Coleridge, the national co-director of Move to Amend, invites you to join the organization and help pass a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. You can join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people, not just the rich ones. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. Get involved, get familiar with the organization, and then call your state congressional representative and senator and ask them to get involved. Again, that's movetoamend.org. In today's short podcast, I'll talk about what's been on everyone's minds these past few days, abortion and guns. Big decisions have been handed down by the Supreme Court in both of these areas. The Supreme Court also handed down other decisions, including undermining of the well-known Miranda Rights Supreme Court decision in 1966. It seems that many civil rights litigation cases won in the Supreme Court over the past five decades are being unwound rapidly in this new, extremely conservative Supreme Court. But for now, I'll focus on abortion and guns, as those are the two most significant decisions handed down this week. Decisions that affirm the Supreme Court's hard right shift toward an extremist and, I believe, dangerous future. Now, regarding abortion, the Supreme Court followed through with an earlier leaked memo regarding the reversal of the 1973 Supreme Court ruling known as Roe v. Wade. The reversal became permanent last Friday, June 24. A number of states have already passed so-called trigger laws that outlaws any abortion once Roe v. Wade has reversed. So, many states, including Missouri, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, didn't hesitate to put these laws into effect immediately. The striking down of Roe v. Wade did not make abortion illegal nationwide, but trust me, that's coming. For the time being, however, a number of states have kept abortion legal and now serve as sanctuary states for those seeking abortion. In the midst of this judicial storm, I wonder about the motivations behind the anti-abortion movement. Now, I've been watching this movement for several years, and I've listened to many of the arguments. My take is that abortion is a political issue. It tries to window dress itself as a religious issue, but no, it's completely political. I come to this conclusion because I've observed that the anti-abortion movement has never been about the saving of the life of an unborn child. It's all been about control over women. Now, I understand there are some well-meaning individuals that really care about the unborn, but this is a small minority within the anti-abortion movement. Overall, the cause has become political, not religious. It tries to hide behind a Christian image of God while it struggles to find a single passage in the Bible to support its view. Now let's step back and take a look at the big picture. 
If the people behind the anti-abortion movement really care about the unborn, then why do they not support the born? Why do they fight against Medicaid coverage for the mother and child after the time of birth? Why do they seek to reduce child care assistance? Why do they seek to reduce funding for public schools? In my life, I've learned that the best way to root out a liar is to look for inconsistencies, and here you have it. People who virtue signal about caring for the yet-to-be-born abandon all such concern once the child is actually born. This is why I say abortion is a political issue. It wraps itself in a transparently thin veil of religion because, in a cynical way, it gets the evangelical vote. So the anti-abortion movement is political, and its purpose is simple, to promote a patriarchal leadership. Now, what is a patriarchal leadership? It is a male-dominated power structure where women play minor roles, if any roles at all. Abortion fits nicely into this approach to politics because it targets women. More specifically, it targets women during a very vulnerable time of their life. The women targeted by the patriarchy are the women that dare express their right to become sexually active without permission from the male-dominated power structure. That's not to mention that the very people fighting abortion have expanded their fight into birth control and LGBTQ rights. They see abortion as the beginning of a war on personal freedom, not the end. They seek to reduce the freedoms of anyone who is not part of the patriarchy. And the ugly truth about patriarchies is that they seek to control the sex lives of their flock, especially the women. The women who do not conform are cast out. They wear the scarlet letter. In extreme patriarchal societies, they are stoned to death. Now, we're not there, not yet anyways. At the end of the day, it all comes down to the individual. A woman's body is hers and hers alone. While she may seek advice and support when faced with a decision regarding her pregnancy, the state has no business interfering and any attempt to do so is merely for the purpose of promoting a patriarchal power structure where the life of the baby isn't even an afterthought. Regarding guns, the Supreme Court last week handed down a ruling in a New York City case that challenged the city's ability to require gun owners to prove a need to carry a concealed weapon in public. The justices said, in effect, that the requirement to prove a need violates the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Now, while I support the people's rights in general to keep and bear arms, I find it difficult to throw away the first four words of the Second Amendment, the words that say, quote, a well-regulated militia. So let me ask you this. Was Salvador Ramos, the gunman who massacred children in Uvalde, part of a well-regulated militia? Was Peyton Gendron, the gunman who killed 10 shoppers at a grocery store in Buffalo, part of a well-regulated militia? In its enthusiasm to undo much of the protections of freedoms we've fought to establish since the beginning of this nation, the Supreme Court conveniently discards any parts of the Constitution that contradicts their agenda. In the case of the Second Amendment, they ignore the part about a well-regulated militia. So let's take a closer look and ask ourselves, What does the Second Amendment mean by militia? The Constitution itself provides a good context. Article 1, Section 8, which spells out the duties of Congress, includes the following clause, quote, To provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. 
Another item in this list of duties Congress has says, quote, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. Now, clearly, the Constitution says that Congress is in charge of regulating the militia. And there's also a role for the chief executive. Article 2, Section 2 begins like this, quote, the president shall be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states when called into the actual service of the United States. Clearly, the militia, as mentioned in the Second Amendment, refers to a civilian army under control of Congress and command of the president. This is what it means to be well-regulated. In the 2008 Supreme Court decision, District of Columbia v. Heller, the Supreme Court set aside the militia portion of the Second Amendment. The reason for this action, according to Justice Antonin Scalia, was that he was concerned over the forcible disarming of citizens and thereby the destruction of the militia. So this is what the weird thing is. He basically ignored the militia in the first part of the amendment so that he could preserve it. Does that make sense to you? I argue that civilians owning weapons must still register as members of the militia in order to conform to the well-regulated clause. To that end, the power to regulate firearms must be given back to Congress. The Second Amendment does not guarantee every individual's right to own a gun. I'll say this again for the effect. The Second Amendment does not guarantee every individual's right to own a gun. It simply guarantees a collective right to form an armed militia that answers to both the Congress and the President. Individuals who use their weapons against the government or its people are not conforming to any part of the Constitution. And this is important because it gives the right of the people to ensure their collective safety by regulating individuals' access to firearms. Now, the NRA would argue this case, but I will not be swayed. Individuals who wish to own firearms must obey regulations. From that context, people can indeed own firearms for personal protection, provided that they are subject to regulation. Furthermore, I really want to emphasize this because there is a general misunderstanding of the objective of militias. The right of an armed militia to own weapons has nothing to do with the violent overthrow of our government. I mention this because there are people who believe that our government should be overthrown by force if and when it tries to remove people's freedoms. While I don't completely disagree with this view, there is nothing, nothing at all in the Second Amendment or the Constitution itself that speaks to that scenario. Insofar as the Constitution is concerned, the militia is there to protect the Constitution of the United States, not destroy it. So if someone takes up arms, whether with guns or bear spray or flagpoles, with the intent to destroy our Constitution through insurrection or any other means, he or she is not acting in accordance with the United States law and must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. The bottom line is that I have no problems with people owning and using guns, but gun owners do not have the right to interfere with my right to live a life free of danger to myself or my loved ones. The only way to guarantee the rights of both gun owners and non-gun owners is through the Second Amendment. 
especially the part about a well-regulated militia. Well, that's it for this week's short podcast. Coming up next week, we talk with Hugh McTavish, candidate for governor for the state of Minnesota, running under the Independence Alliance Party banner. We'll talk about the concept of a jury democracy, as well as his views on environmental protections, pandemic mitigation, proportional representation, and more. It'll be an interesting interview, and I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Ray Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>